Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music, and I love those that create it. Stryker's here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Tuna on toast. Yeah, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Tuna on Toast. It's your friend Stryker here. Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy is going to join me in just a minute. And what a great conversation with a ton of information that I thought I knew about, but I guess I really didn't. Hey, their new album, the Fallout Boy album, which is called So Much for Stardust, is out March 24th. During our chat, and what a dumbbell I am, I kept saying, so the, all right, the album comes out in 24 days from now, but I never gave the date. I don't think I actually said March 24th. And you may be listening to this episode on March 23rd. So it wouldn't be 24 days from March 23rd. Or maybe you're listening to the Pete Wentz Tune on Toast episode in the year 2024. My prediction is that this is your first time listening, at least someone, and it's not even the year 2023. Whatever. Either way, you have found this episode. Again, I'm Ted Stryker. Pete Wentz is here. And we get into a lot of great stuff, man. He is such a prolific and talented songwriter and musician, extremely intelligent. He supports young bands. He always has. You know, uh, one of the topics that we got into, I wanted to know more details about him signing Panic at the Disco all those years ago. And was it Ryan Ross and Brendan Urie that tracked him down? Did he track them down? Did he really drive to Las Vegas the second he heard who they were? How did they find each other? So we get into that. Also, there's some cool stuff about Mark Hoppus and Tim from Rise Against. We talk a lot about the making of the new album, which, again, which is called So Much for Stardust. What does that title mean? We get a lot of history of Fall Out Boy. It's good stuff. I really, really like and respect Pete Wentz. He always brings the kind of energy that I like in our conversations. And I've known the guy now probably 20 years which is so crazy. Boy, oh boy, he looks the same and I look 117 years old. All right, let's get to it. And by the way, Pete is not in the studio uh, with me here at home. I'm in my Tunanto studio, my guest bedroom. He is at a different location. And here's some warning for you. The first five minutes of conversation, maybe a little less than that, is about tennis and golf. Please don't be mad at us that we discuss tennis. <laughs> And golf. All right. Without any folly ado, without any further ado, please welcome to Tuna on Toast. Here is Pete Wentz. Pete. Yo, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Tuna on Toast. Hold on one sec. Hold on. I just want to make sure our levels are good. Can you just give me seven seconds of normal talk? Tuna on Toast. We're good. Check, check, check. Recording in progress. Most good. important question. You have so much going on. A number one song in the country right now, and the album's coming out in 24 days from now. How's your golf and tennis game? Uh, My tennis is okay. My golf is not as okay. <laughs> How many days a month... Do you hit balls? I'm not saying play 18 or 9, but you're swinging a club. I try to do once a week, but I have not been doing even once a week. Are you playing golf? Pete, I finally have the comfortability to scream to the masses that I've loved golf for years. I watch six hours a week. I play as much as I can. I hit it for years because I thought everyone would make fun of me. Why? No, golf is so—golf is—are you good? 
I'm about a, I mean, I'm a nine handicap. Wow. So a nine handicap, what do you usually shoot about? Between like on... 78 and 83. Wow, man. I'm yeah, okay. I'm not there with my, like, that's where my tennis, my tennis is there or whatever, but like golf is just such a like, and I, and, and I, I only started playing, like I played when I was younger with my dad because he played in college, but it was frustrating and I just, you know, I was a kid and I was not, you know, I was just frustrated. And then just before the pandemic, or like my, we went on a 70th birthday trip for him to Ireland and I wasn't really playing and I started playing after that. And it's cool because I don't have a lot of bad habits. I just have no habits kind of. And like, <laughs> so the, the teacher, my, my coach was like, it's good because you're not breaking bad habits. But at the same time, it's like, an infuriating game. So infuriating. But <laughs> I'm at the point where if I see a duck in a pond or a pelican fly by, I'm just as happy as if I made a par on that hole. Like, I'm really enjoying everything that goes along with the game these days, just being out there. There's a, there's a zenness also to golf. Like, outside of, like, the psychotic, like, <laughs> you know, like you're chipping from the fringe and the ball goes like nowhere or you or you know or like how i do i'm trying to chip and i end up like sculling it like right. you know onto the next hole but like uh but there is a zenness i find from just being out there and then like being with your friends when you go off with your friends and whatever i play like a lot of like bad munis but like I, yeah i just like being out there i like you know, it's, this is like the most punk rock interview we've ever done. <laughs> Once I was thinking like, okay, we're going to do 40 minutes on tennis and golf, and it's going to be the most views we've ever had. Then we'll get a show on the golf channel together. <laughs> totally. I think that like, this is the thing that I think, you know, like when I was growing up, I feel like I played a lot of sports when I was growing up and I was also really into punk rock and the two went less hand in hand. I kind of got, you know, like, you know, it just didn't go as hand in hand. And I, now I think with the way there's analytics and the way video games are like, I just think it's so much more open, like where you can be into lots of different things. You could be into sports. You could be into fantasy football. You could, you know, like, it's like you could be nerdy or punk rock and be, you know, and I, I think that that's, to me, it's cool. Like I, yes. I feel great about like my kids growing up in a world, like where you can kind of, you just pick and choose the stuff you're into. You know what I mean? And, right. and, and I think it's kind of cool. I totally agree, and I kick myself for not just being. I feel like I'm authentic very much over all these years. All my weaknesses I've shared, and yeah. you know, all my quirks and all that. But I just kind of hid the golf for all these years. But yeah, now it's. it's I, I I completely understand it. Like I I think that sometimes that when you're like in music and whatever, and you start talking about it, people like you know make fun of you and say you know sports ball or whatever you know like this kind of stuff or whatever. And I'm like, uh, I I just don't feel like it is that way anymore. You know, like. You either like it or you don't. And there's some sports that, like, I have an appreciation for, but that I don't really, like, I would not play, you know, or whatever. Like, even, like, I, I bowled the other night. I had my kids out. We went, we were, like, away for the weekend in Montana, and there was, like, a bowling alley there. And so we bowled, and I was like, man, I feel great when I break 100 when I'm bowling. Like, what? that is big for me, you know what I mean? But, like, I, I also have an appreciation where I was like, oh, yeah, there's these guys who, like, study the spin, and they can, you know what I mean? I, I appreciate it. It's not for me currently but maybe will be one day that's so funny i went bowling on sunday and breaking 100 is what a great feeling it is it is <laughs> it's like so, it's gotta be so laughable by like these you know like by guys who are pretty good or whatever but like at the same time still feels good and it feels also like uh like when you don't break 100 you're like wow i am not that great <laughs> exactly um do you agree with the following statement that i'm going to make pronouncing your album title has to be with the right inflection 
or it's no, no one's going to understand it. So it's just saying it plainly so much for stardust, but you have to say so much for stardust. That's so, how I hear it. Is that right or wrong? I think that it's correct. I think that that is correct. I, I also think that there is a little, yes, that's totally correct. But I think that there, the, the parentheses being around the four, there is a little bit of like a, so much stardust kind of, you know, like, so like, and I think about that in the way that like, and it's like the dumbest thing or whatever, but like, you know, everybody is stardust. You're like all, everyone's just like these different molecules of carbon or whatever, um, former stars. And uh, I, I think about that sometimes, like when I'm thinking about how different everybody on the planet is, um, we're all kind of the same still, you know? And, and so there's some relief in that, I guess. But yeah, I think that's the right inflection. And, but putting the parentheses around it, is very important because it sounds like we all want to be positive with so much stardust, but there's, I get, it's not really all that stardust because everyone's a lunatic out there. Is that totally, and I think it's like the world we live in also, like, it's like, we are also similar, but like, you just still can't figure it out for some reason, you know? And I think that the world is like, I don't know, maybe around COVID and so much social media, it just feels like on the razor's edge a little bit, like powder kegs ready to go kind of, you know? Um, always like the phone out in people's faces and you know what I mean? Like, and it feels like I, to me, it's like, I want to get away from that a little bit, you know, like I, and that's like, even like going back to what we were talking about, like with the golf and the tennis, whatever, like just doing things that you enjoy that are like positive things that are like positive addictions to have or whatever. Like, I think that that's all good, you know, like, it, especially when you're not adding to this, like, I don't know, like nuclear countdown clock or whatever that everybody's on, you know, like, it's just, Life feels like too short and too long for all that to me. That being said, are you having a good time as we get to the release of the album? Like Love from the Other Side is number one right now. Like on paper, everything should be awesome. But mentally, how are you feeling? Yeah. Um, well, so Love from the Other Side going to number one after, you know, 17 years of our after our first appearance on the chart is like the most fallout boy way to do it of all time. You know what I mean? Like it's like <laughs> Couldn't have done it way more the way we would do it. And, you know, charts are like a funny thing, right? Like, and it's like, I think everybody probably has this at their job or what, you know, your passion or whatever it is. Like, you don't give a, sh you don't care about it. But when it's not there, you do care. You know, like you do care, but you don't care. You know what I mean? Like, it's a nice, it's, it's nice to know that you're, the people that you're making the thing for like it enough that it goes to the top of a charter. But like at the same time, like it doesn't like fill anything inside of you. Like you're like, Oh, all of a sudden I feel fine, you know, right. or whatever. Like, yeah. um, but, and, and then to me, uh, it was a good question because this is the oddest time with art for me, like where it's done, it's completed, but it's like not out in the world yet. So it's like having like a, a case of wine that you made, but like no one's drank it yet. And you're like, well, I hope it's like not skunky, <laughs> you know, like, cause it kind of doesn't become what it is until it gets out there. Right. Like you just, you don't know. And you have a good feeling of what it is or whatever, but like it also changes. And like the songs that I think people will like, you know, the songs people will like, won't probably be ones that I thought were, you know what I mean? Like mm. and they just take on a life of their own kind of. And, and so yeah, it's that weird, like, to me, it's like that, the, the the days between Christmas and New Year's where, like, kind of it's like a hazy thing, like, where you're like, are we even doing anything? You know what right. I mean? Like, do these days count for anything, you know, or whatever? Because, like, no one's, no one's, you know, like, it's, it's that weird foggy time. And, and this is like that, 
me where it's like, yeah, the album is done, but nobody's really lived with it. What is it? Will we care? You know, and it's like, I, I, I think that I have a lot, of, a lot of art in my house and stuff. And it's like that art didn't become what it is until we take it and we look at it. And you, you know, like you live with right. it and it is in your house and you look at it a certain way in the morning, you know, whatever. And so that and I'm excited about it because love it or hate it, like it becomes what it is. Um, yeah, when people have it. You wrote every lyric to this song, I assume, right? Did you do mm -hmm. it uh, writing in paper? Were you say, saying words into your phone? What was the inspiration specifically for Love From The Other Side? I mostly write on paper and in notes uh, on my phone. Sometimes if I'm driving, I have whoever I'm driving with um, write it down where I should be just doing a vo like a voice note, but I just don't even think in that those terms. So I have the person who I'm driving with write it down. And I guess specifically, I was just writing back and forth emails, but like they're kind of like almost pen pal letters with a friend in um, the UK during the pandemic. And it was just kind of like, man, I don't know, like when we'll hang out again, you know, and it was a lot of it was kind of like a lot of that. And it, that I think was a big inspiration for it. And also like when we got back out in the world, you know, it felt like the first time you like jump into a cold lake or something, You, I think you appreciate it more and deeper, or I, I appreciated it more and deeper than I had in a long time, you know, cause I think you're very lucky to be able to travel and to, you know, share music, you know, large groups of people. Like, it, I don't know, yeah. So that was a big inspiration for it. I love the song, if I have not told you that yet. I oh, absolutely thanks. love it. And uh, I'm going to say something. It's more of a statement, but there is a question. It doesn't feel trendy, the song, and it doesn't right. feel like you're trying to, uh, I don't know, find something from 2004. It just sounds like this is where we are mentally. Here's how we want to play our instruments. Here's how we want to write songs. Is That's that awesome. Man. Yeah, no, no, I got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's for sure it. I think that when we were writing the record, you know, we had some friends um, who kind of were like, yeah, you should just do, you know, like, sure, we're going down part two. It's like a perfect time for it. And I thought exactly like that's exactly not the perfect time for it because, um, A, I just don't think like I don't want to do a retread. Um, but I think that also like sometimes when bands try to recapture the early or artists in general try to recapture the early magic it's just like not really possible because you were living in a van and you hadn't seen the world you know you didn't have a mortgage you didn't have kids you're a different person you know um i always thought about it when me and patrick were talking about it it was always like when our bands first came out and my chemical romance came out and panic came out kind of green day was it felt like they were in the position that we're in now where it was like they had been a band for 20 years already or 15 years already. And they um, could have, I guess, just made records like ours, but instead they, they kind of made, they made a record to me that a, it was, it was adjacent to what we were doing. And it also reminded people of why they green day was so big and they loved them. We, we loved them so much. Um, and so I think that that's what we were thinking about with the, this song and this record was like, it can be adjacent to all the stuff that's happening, but, it shouldn't be a retread and it shouldn't be chasing what is hap happening right this moment, you know? And I think right. that there was also like, listen, we, you know, I've been watching last of us. So I think in those terms a little bit, but like with, with save rock and roll all the way through mania, like we were just surviving, you know what I mean? Like we mm. were, there was like a pop culture landscape that was like not super friendly to bands. Um, you know what I mean? And, and I think, so we were just surviving. That was the nature of that. And now I think this is a chance where like, 
everything's cyclical and we have a chance to like lean into doing that and being the band that we were, you know what I mean? And, and in a futuristic way, I think that these are songs that we couldn't have written and put on infinity on high or from under the cork tree um, necessarily. Well, that was uh, interesting to hear what you said about that 2013 to 2018 time from save rock and roll through mania. You also mentioned being in a van and you're not those same guys. Can you take me back to the show in Wisconsin when you first met your manager, you didn't even know he was going to be in the crowd, I don't think. Approximately yeah. what year was that, and what was the venue like? Man, uh, we were playing, we kind of played anywhere we could play. I think that that show might have been at the small room of the Rave, which is like a pretty legendary um, venue in Milwaukee, but it has a tiny room off to the side. And Honestly, when we played then, we would play basically as fast as we could. And we played all the songs we knew how to play. Listen, we were like, grew up around hardcore bands. So it was like, you know, chaos. And we, we the experience was like a more melodic version of the, the scene we were kind of coming from. Um, we were not the world's best band. And I, I don't remember if our manager at the time told us that or let us know or i mean they might have just kind of let us keep uh you know living the dream in the in the van but like looking back on it it was like god bless that anybody showed up at those shows and and oftentimes nobody really did show up so <laughs> but at that show bob who was there who's still with you today correct yes he saw something on stage and he saw an energy from the crowd to fallout boy and from fallout boy to that audience before the world even knew who you were yeah, I mean, and God bless that that he could see that because, you know, and I think that we had some early supporters that really championed us beyond what we deserved at the time. What I will say is, um, you know, I see a certain, um, you know, like a certain bands and certain rappers or whoever, there's like a rawness to them where it feels like there's a little bit like a like a, a like a live wire or like a, you know, like a cord that's like sending electricity through it that you can't kind of totally control and we definitely had that you know what i mean like there was a little bit of like what's gonna happen at the shows and like a little bit of like sometimes the fire marshal would show up and kind of unplug our amps or whatever you know like that kind of thing and, and so there was that there was that raw energy but for anyone to think for bob or whoever to look at our band and be like one day these guys will be on trl like that you have to have a real vision for that one. You know what I mean? <laughs> but just for you personally, what was the goal in 2001, two and three before the debut? Was it just to be able to play venues around the U.S.? Or were you thinking, we're going to be on radio, then TRL, and we're going to cross over a little bit and play arenas and stadiums? Not any of that, but the dream, no, so not any of that, but the dream was always one size too big. So it would always be like, we should headline the Metro. And it was like, well, but like you guys can't even really get 50 people at a Knights of Columbus <laughs> hall, you know, like, but it was always, it was, it, it, it was all, they were always grand dreams, but it was always, you know, it's like when we were playing Hella Mega, oh. you know, which was baseball stadiums through, through the U S it was like, well, what would it be like if we did this in a football stadium? You know, it was always like, it's always, you know, one step too big. And that's what always, like, I think, I always have that, and it drives Patrick a little crazy. Um, mm. But I think that's a it fuels it like we fuel each other in that way, in that regard. Do you think it's unhealthy or healthy 
to have that state of mind this many years into a career because your accomplishments are a plus plus man that's really kind of you to say um <laughs> what would my therapist say uh <laughs> i think it's healthy and unhealthy um when it's in in a healthy way you're you're dreaming and it's wistful and you're doing things that you like we wouldn't have done certain things otherwise because you you are um dreaming a little bit bigger and i think it keeps things fresh and it keeps you attempting to make good art but i do think that like sometimes it does border on unhealthy like sometimes there's like a little bit of like um obsession over it and and that kind of thing yeah and so and it's funny also because i think with you know with you know, and it's easier for me to see with with other artists, but I'm like, calm down, man. It's it's all good. You're like, you're doing great. <laughs> but it's hard when you're on the inside of it. You're like, am I? I don't know. Throw me the ball. You know, like if, if you could just take a step outside and just enjoy the journey. And so I've been trying to do that a little bit more is like, good. enjoy the journey. Um, We've been hanging out like way more than we, you know, because I think we, we got into a little bit of a pattern, both uh, legs of the band, you know, like before the hiatus and after the hiatus you know, like where you're in Tokyo or whatever. I've been here a bunch of times and I'm like feeling homesick or I'm feeling jet lagged and I've already seen everything. So I'm just going from like the airport to my hotel to, you know, whatever. And I don't know, man, like I think that A, that's not the reason you you dreamed of ever doing this thing in the first place. And then B, like, how are you adding to the world and how are you adding to your art if you're not like experiencing the world? And so I think right. that we've been, you know, we've been hanging out way more, been going out to dinner and you know, exploring cities together and stuff. And I don't know, I think it helped this record, honestly. Uh, were you guys all in the same room for this record most of the time or were you in separate places making so much no, for Stardust? This, yeah, yeah, this is one, like we're, we're all basically, live, me and Joe live uh, in Los Angeles, but the rest of the band kind of lives around the, uh, around the country. And so this is the first record in a while where we, um, we were in the same room together and we did, um, you know, we, we hashed things out and we mm. passed notebooks back and forth and it was cool. It was cool to experience it in that way again. And, you know, we've always been a band that like, um, we get into it with each other, but we're also siloed off from each other. So like, it's, it's kind of both of that. And this was the first time in a while where it was like, there were no silos. So it was just like, we were just getting it into it with each other mostly. Wow. Did it feel fresh as a band being in the room together and making this? It definitely did. And also, like, you know, I think any relationship you're in, um, friendship you're in, uh, any of it, like, you, you know, the stuff that you kind of like either suck at or like kind of hide it a little bit, your flaws. Like, you yes. know, you kind of like it with the golf thing or whatever. Like, the way we made this record, everybody knows you play golf. You know what I mean? Like, you can't, there's nowhere to hide it. You know right. what I mean? So, there's nowhere to hide and be like, I don't want lyrics like this or I don't want, th you're just there. You know what I mean? There's nowhere for you to kind of be like, well, I'll respond to this email after the weekend and I'll kind of like be able to like, you know, evade, you know, whatever. There was just none of that. And and I think it was, it was good. It was really healthy for the songs and it was really good for the band as well. And like, we did it with Neil again. Um, Neil Av Avron? Cool. Neil Avron. Neil Avron. Yeah. Is this your third record with him? I think it's technically, no, it is technically our fourth record fourth with him record, because we okay. did uh, Infinity, or I mean, we did fully I do it with him as well, but it's our first one in a long time. And uh, Patrick really wanted to work with him. I was a little nervous because I just, I don't know, like any feelings of like, 
throw back like it just like makes me like it's like a little stomach turning for me you know what i mean and in the way like i think people get sometimes get bummed about that but i don't mean it no one really wants to go like go do the thing you were doing 15 years ago like exactly the same like no one wants to do that um and those songs exist and if we tried to parrot them they would just be really bad you know what i mean and so the first conversation i had with neil was like he was like if we're gonna do this it cannot be throwback to old fallout boy and that was the first thing he said to me and it made me feel like super comfortable and super comfortable with the process that's awesome man was there when you put out the debut album which was such an important and great album and introduced you to a zillion people out there was there a bidding war to get you guys signed by fueled by ramen or island or was it like oh there's one label let's just do this how did that go down so when we put out before we put out take this to your grave um we sent the demos from that record to like kind of every punk rock label, some major labels. And like, I wish I kept some of the rejection letters. <laughs> some of them were really nice. Um, and some of them were just funny, but like, yeah, like no one wanted to deal with us. Um, oh. You know, and, and it was interesting because like you feel by Raman did reach out and it was like, we were like, isn't it a ska label? And we were kind of like, well, we, does this even make sense? And there's something to be said for serendipity. And then there's something to be said for um, the universe just works itself out. And then I also think that you got to be, that's true, but you got to be ready to take the swing when you're up at bat. You know what I mean? Like you'll get a chance to bat, but you can't blame striking out on someone else or whatever. And so um, after that, our deal, our, our record just up our next album, we just upstreamed to uh, Island Def Jam. And that's where we were for, a lot of years um yeah we were we we did our whole contract there um and met good people and honestly the music industry is just interesting there's just like a ton of turnover so you just see you see a lot of the same people but you're like oh the old guy who was the boss is not the boss here anymore but there's a new guy and hopefully he likes our band and we were lucky to work with like a ton of really good people and then on this album um before it came out johnny minardi who we've known for like 20 years uh from chicago he works at fuel by ramen now and he was, you know, he just was relentless in his pursuit of us and me. He was like, is there music? Will there be music? Can we talk? You know, and I was like, oh, God, this Johnny is coming at me all the time, you know. And and he also, um, he really got me because he just believes in it. So, like, all his ideas come from a place of actual belief. They're not hype machine stuff. It never felt, oh, this, like, suit is trying to, like, get us. So, like, he's coming up with that. It was all, like he believes in the thing and and oh, and great. that really made the difference and now being back on fuel by ramen it's cool to like you know come full circle and and, and experience things kind of like when you know like when you do stuff when you're like 22 or 23 years old you're like i don't even know what i'm doing like right. we have no idea like people would be like here's an end like this is the budget for an end cap i'm like i don't know what an end cap is like i don't know anything about any of this yeah. um so to come back as an adult and, and have a better understanding of it is pretty cool. If you come across any Fueled by Ramen 20-year-old T-shirts, and there's a large, send it to your friend's head. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah, I got you. I'll find one. I'll track one down. Five more minutes, and then we'll be done. Panic no at the Disco, Brendan Urie. He said he was done. He's got the family. Totally understandable. Going back all those years, I just want to confirm the story that's been out there. He sent yeah. you he sent you music with Ryan Ross through like Live Journal or something. You heard it without meeting them. And did you drive to Vegas to meet them? So they, you know, Ryan kind of was like, you know, making fun of me and making fun of the band. And and he was like, check out our music. 
And I was like, oh, I'm sure this is going to be bad. And I'll be able to come tell him his band's bad, too. And I listened to it. And uh, it was great. It was fantastic. And I was like, I need to sign this band. I didn't even have a record label. Um, and that was the inception of all of that. Um, yeah. And then we drove to Vegas. Uh, me and Dan Sue, a guy that worked with us at the time, drove to Vegas. And we saw them practice in a practice space. And they they literally couldn't play some of the songs because there was just like dance music moments and stuff. And they were like, we don't even know how to play this. And, uh, you know, like it's and this is the thing I guess I was talking about, about the, the, the rawness. And they, they had the rawness, but they also had like, like a magical thing there. You know what I mean? Like when you see a band or like an artist and you're like, there's just a thing. Right. I, I see it like right. with um, Turnstile. Like I'm just like, it's just a thing. You know what I mean? Like you see them live and you're like, there's something with those guys on stage doing that thing that I think another band could could sound very similar, but it's just there's there's a magic there's like the magic dust there. And you saw that at their rehearsal, and they were maybe still in high school at the time. They were. I think Brendan was 17, maybe. Um, yeah. I just listen. Like I feel like getting all those rejection letters. Going back to that for Fallout Boy, and 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 there was only a couple of bands that kind of like took us under their wing like less than jake did and this band punchline did we didn't really have a lot of bands that took us out and i always liked the spirit of that and i and to me also i liked when i would see hip-hop there was like this communal spirit like around you know like and it just felt like a culture it was just like why couldn't we do that and to me there was always a thing like when i would watch like seinfeld where i'm like you never know who's gonna show up in like whoever's apartment on seinfeld they all live in the same building and it's kind of cool and i always thought like why couldn't there be a record label like that yeah so that was the inception of that very cool by the way tuna on toast is a reference to seinfeld I always order tuna on toast. Nothing goes great for me when I order tuna on toast, which is why I named that the podcast is. But this is also for the radio, just, just so you know. That spark, that magic that you're talking about, can you describe what that is? Or you just have to see it with your own eyes? Or can you hear it? I think you can hear it for sure. And it's not, to me, it's not star quality. Like, I can hear it when I listen to Lana Del Rey. Like, I do. there's something like where I'm like, there's something captivating and magical. Um... I, I can hear I can hear it I, I could read it when I read what Lord writes she writes these like um, emails to I think her I don't know her group like her fans or something but I read them and uh, it's like it's like to her large group of fans not to single right. fans or whatever but uh, <laughs> but yeah but like I and I can read them in those words I feel like there's just certain there's certain one things artists that I can just see it. And I hope that it translates to the rest of the world because like, I really like our new artists. It's like a very hard time to break right now, you know, like, and I don't really know, like there's not been a new artist broken, like broken, broken in so long. And, yes. and it pains me that there's artists that are kind of being like lost between the cracks because they don't like fit an algorithm that like works on Spotify or TikTok or something. There are great artists out there. And like, so try, I try to champion them and I hope that the world sees what you see, you know, and they don't always, you know, whatever. And like, I don't have like a magic ball where it's like they all, where everybody loves all of them. But like, I, I do, I love all of the artists that I work with. And, and it's some of the ones that I don't even, um, there's some artists that like I missed out on or whatever. And I'm, I still love them. And I think they're awesome too, you know? It was so interesting to hear you talk about that as you guys were on the rise, you couldn't really name other than less than Jake and maybe one other artist, those that kind of took you out. Uh, Tim from Rise Against and uh, Chris from Dashboard Confessional were so excited to shout out bands that were supportive 
to them because as a result of that, they got that energy as they got bigger to take younger bands out and treat them with respect that they should deserve out on the road. Totally. Yeah, I thought that was really, I really... Mean, and, and Tim, for example, like, like our bands, Rise Against and Fall Boy, didn't really cross paths a ton until you know, like later on in our career, but like I've known Tim for 20 years. Like we, wow. we were in like a bunch of bad bands together, you know, like we were in a bunch of bands that no one heard together. And like, so like that guy has been like kind of like a brother for so long, you know what I mean? And then we check in, he's like four years ahead of me with his kids. So like, I'll always be like, Hey, is this, is this normal that like teenagers are like this crazy to their parents or whatever? You know, and like, he, I chat, like I get literal parenting advice from him. Um, there's nothing to be named or whatever, but like you see how not to treat um, bands and now not to treat people, but also like, like I remember we played on the side stage with Blink uh, 182 way back, long time ago, 2005, 2000, something like that. And, uh, you know, like we would have like big crowds on the side stage and they'd be moshing and it, like, and we kind of get in trouble because like in the amphitheater, they couldn't really mosh because there were seats, but on the side stage, they could. So we would have like a chaotic crowd by us. And kind of like every other day, we would get sent to the tour manager's office where they would be like, we'd be like, oh, sh fuck, you know, yeah, like, yeah. oh, man, we got to go and, you know, probably get yelled at or whatever. And we would show up. And if Mark was there, Hoppus, he would always be like, no, you guys aren't in trouble. You guys should go to catering. There's cake there. This oh. guy is so cool. And I think. And we've talked about it since then, but I don't think you even know how big, like a little moment that is for like a, a like a young band. You know what I mean? Like that's such a big moment. I think that we that adds to how we try to like treat artists in the world. They, they it, those little moments are really important. So much for Stardust is the album coming out in about 24 days from today. You got the number one song in the country and the huge tour which includes Wrigley Field in giant venues all across the US. Is that a world tour as well? I think I only saw the US it, dates on there. It is a world tour. We're going to Europe, Australia and oh, sweet. Uh Japan, Asia as well. Yeah. Okay, man. Best of luck on the tour. Be safe out there and Pete, congrats on the career for you and your bandmates and everything you've Cheers. done for music and being so nice to me over the years, man. Uh, thank you, man. We should golf together, but I I mean like you would just have to put up with me a little bit. That's just I love golf. But I would love to. I would love golf with you. I don't care if someone shoots a 200 as long as they're moving it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Right? I move it. I keep it moving. Don't worry. Me too. And I, blame it on, I blame it on clubs and the wind. <laughs> and like, you know, I'm fun to golf with. <laughs> Me too. All right, Pete. Thank you so much again, Thanks, man. Bro. I'll see you soon. Thanks, okay, you Thanks, got Pete. it. Bye. Later, man. That's another episode of Strikers Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. Maybe.